Welcome to another inspirational message from Gateway North Church based out of Winnipeg, Canada. Your Sunday sermon, any day of the week. This morning's message is entitled, By Faith, Able. That should appear there. There it is. By Faith, Able. And we'll see that the way Abel speaks to us is something other than words. I think I'm accurate in saying this, that in the story in Genesis 4, which is further explained in Hebrews 11, we don't see anything quoted by, about what Abel ever said verbally using words. Nonetheless, the writer to the Hebrews says that even though Abel is now long dead, he still speaks. Interesting. So how does he speak? And we're going to see that in the next few minutes. He speaks in a way other than words, although I'm sure he could speak. But that's not what the text gives us. And he did it by something he did in faith. He made an offering, an act of sacrifice, an act of worship. And we'll see as we look at it for the next few minutes that that act of worship, that offering, said something. It spoke something about God at a very crucial moment in biblical history just after the eviction from Eden. You ever think what that must have been like? Most of us can remember where we were on the day and on the days following 9-11 in 2001. That was a world-changing event and Months and months later, some of us were still saying something like, I think I'm still recovering. Well, what would it have been like to get kicked out of the Garden of Eden? That would have been big, worse, bigger, but worser than 9-11 any day of the week. And in that moment, Abel did something by faith that spoke truly about who God is, even in that awful time in biblical history. By faith, Abel, and there's three things that his offering says. We're going to read briefly from Genesis and then pick up in Hebrews and how Hebrews looks back to Genesis 4 and explains it for us. So, Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. There's a word play there in Hebrew. The word for Cain sounds like the word forgotten. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, like many people in Israel would later be. And Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Notice the writer doesn't describe it. It just says something from the fruit of the ground. Verse 4. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. So the, the writer here is explaining, commenting about the offering. Commenting about it. It's, it was the firstborn. And the word there for firstborn is a plural. So it wasn't just one little lamb. It was m more than one. Firstborn ones of his flock and of their fat portions. It was, these were well fed lambs. 
And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And he spoke to Abel, his brother, some verses later. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. These are dark days, weren't they? So let's see what Hebrews makes of this. Hebrews 11, as Peter has just explained, is the great faith chapter. And again and again and again, the writer uses that tiny little phrase, two-word phrase, by faith. By my count, that two-word phrase appears 18 times. And the very first one of those, the lead-off by faith moment, is about Abel. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, implying it's things that maybe you don't yet have. The conviction of things not seen. In other words, they were still waiting. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, similar to justification by faith in Romans and Galatians. He was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, plural gifts. It's those lambs. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Although we never hear him quoted, he still speaks. How does he speak? By making that offering. These faithful people, he goes on and tells many stories from the Old Testament. These faithful people all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. What an interesting image. It's like seeing someone come way far off by faith. Three things that Abel's offering says. One, by faith Abel, his offering says God is good. Now, I've already touched this point. These were not happy times. Two of the four people in this story... Adam and Eve, they could remember what it was like in Eden. They could remember and emotionally they knew what it felt like, the searing loss because of their own extremely unwise and rebellious choices. They could remember being able to eat from the tree of life, face-to-face fellowship with God himself. But now, they've lost that access. I wonder what it was like them trying to explain, I wonder what it was like for them, Adam and Eve, to try to explain this to their boys when the boys were growing up. I grew up in a troubled family, alcoholic dad, and I remember as it was all unfolding, I was like in kindergarten, my mother trying in her own very emotionally troubled way to explain it. The daddy had a drinking problem. How do you explain stuff like that? 
And what did Adam and Eve say to their boys in the middle of all this? You see, we used to live in a much better place. There were no thorns. There was no strife. There was no death. But we disobeyed God, so we're not there now. Now, maybe you are in a place at the moment that almost feels like that, not having got kicked out of Eden, but you're stuck somewhere. You're in a dead-end job. You're facing all sorts of family strife. What do I do in the middle of this? Well, let's look at what Abel did. There's nothing here about him trying to analyze it. We certainly don't read anything here about him becoming resentful toward his parents, which many of us know what that is like to resent your, resent your parents. Not Abel. He had his eyes on Lord, on God. By faith, he knew God was good, even in the midst of all the loss and grief. There's didn't used to be thorns. Now every time they plant something, thorns come up out of the ground, it says in, in Genesis 3. They've lost big time. But in the middle of all of that, Abel brings an offering to the Lord. And one of the levels of meaning of that moment is something very simple but very powerful. It said, by putting that offering on the altar, it said something. Remember, by, even though he's dead, he still speaks. He spoke but not using words. He put those lambs on the altar and that said something. It was a statement. It said, God is good. God is good. Whatever is going on around me, God is good. He was making choices, this man, Abel, not to get bitter, not to get resentful. And there were reasons that he could have gone that way, but he wasn't looking at his parents. He wasn't looking at his brother in whom there seems already to have been bitterness. Abel was looking above he was looking to God, and he knew by faith that God was good. I remember talking once to a friend, and he said, I said, how are you go doing, and how is your job going? And he said, to be candid, my job stinks. <laughs> he didn't like the place he was working. There was all sorts of negativity and gossip and whatnot. He really, really didn't like working there. And maybe you're in a situation not unlike that, that it stinks. Well, you know what to do with stink? <laughs> I don't know what your friends are going to think if they say to you, what did the preacher talk about on Sunday? And you have to tell them, tell them well, he talked about something that stinks. But anyway. God's answer for that is a pleasant aroma. Faith rising up to God. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2, that's one of my favorite books in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. In the New American Standard Translation, it's translated like this. But thanks be to God, who manifests through us the sweet aroma, something nicer than incense, Nicer than cologne, 
nicer than a pot of coffee perking on your kitchen counter, a sweet aroma, and here's what the aroma was, the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him. Because when we know God, we give off an aroma. The sweet aroma of the knowledge of him. Now here's the key part of the verse. In every place. In every place. Maybe that's part of why you've got the job you now have. Maybe if you're candid, it's not your, the most favorite job option you could have come up with. You sort of feel, at the moment anyway, stuck there. Why am I here? Well, perhaps part of the reason, and I'm not saying you'll work there all of your life, anything like that, but part of the reason you're there now is that God wants the aroma of Christ to ascend into heaven from that place. Come on, Dave. Amen. Troubled family. Really difficult job. A few years ago, I was in India, and I was, a friend of mine was driving me to an evening meeting. And I started thinking, where is he taking me? Because the, the, the reek in the air on the way was just horrific. It was fields full of raw sewage. And I thought, oh my goodness, where is he taking me? But you know, God's God. Who but God would think of starting up a prayer meeting or a ministry in a place among the untouchables, the, the Dalit people in India, you know, that have no resources, they're dirt poor, and there was a little community in this place right near the sewage grounds. And God raised up something so that, that the sewage, I hate to be unpleasant here, but just stay with me for a moment, God wanted another aroma going up. Yeah. Worship. The sweet aroma of the knowledge of him. Where? Right next to the sewage ground. In every place. Including where you are. Your family with all its troubles, whatever, whatever, whatever. In every place. And in the place of recent eviction from Eden, Abel's offering was that. The aroma of the presence of of God and love for God. I'm taking that as the first thing his offering said. Second thing, it's not all it said. It said more than that. By faith, Abel, his offering said, God is faithful. He's good. God is good. And part of the way he's good is that he is faithful. Faith is defined in this passage, we've already noticed this, as the assurance of things hoped for. I have an assurance of something I don't have it yet, I'm hoping for it. The conviction of things not seen, I can't see it, but I believe it's coming. Now, one of the conversations that must have taken place around the dinner table with Adam and Eve and the two boys was them, Adam and Eve, telling Cain and Abel what it had been like in Eden. But those were interesting conversations. And I'm sure that Adam and Eve would have told the boys, because they wouldn't have wanted the boys to be bitter and discouraged and, law and, and, and hopeless, 
They would have said, you know what? After dad and mom disobeyed the Lord, but before we got evicted, there was a, a window there. They were still in Eden when, when they fell. And then in that moment, God came and rebuked them. But he made some promises. And one of the promises came in the context, this is in the Garden of Eden, but after the fall, after sin got in, one of the promises Adam and Eve got actually came by them hearing what God said to the serpent. Interesting, eavesdropping on God rebuking the devil. And we can get something out of it. And what, the devil, what God said to the devil is, the serpent crusher is coming. I'm going to send someone who's not only going to re refuse your temptations, he's going to stomp your head. So it, they started, they could draw hope from that. There is going to be somebody that's going to deal with this source of evil in a decisive way. Now, the natural question, I'm sure the boys would have said, well, okay, uh, that sounds great. Um, Dad, Mom, when's he coming? Now, what we, from what we can gather in Genesis, those early chapters, God promised the serpent crusher. Of course, we know now it's Christ himself. But there's nothing in there about God giving Adam and Eve and the boys any kind of timetable. And the fact that people didn't yet know, see, they, they just had to hold on to the promise as a promise without any details. When's he coming? We don't know, but we know he is coming because God is faithful. When Abel put that offering on the altar, he is saying something. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I do believe this. Everybody watching, I believe God's faithful. That's what that offering said. One of the things that comes up a lot in Genesis is it's like God holds up people's dirty laundry repeatedly. Do we really need to know that after that dramatic episode of the flood and mankind being preserved from extinction through Noah's obedience with the ark, you know, we wouldn't be here this morning if it hadn't been for that. Did you ever think about Noah's ark? And you know what else? We all descend from Noah. Look at the people just down the road from you. You're actually related to them. I've got th three or four different racial groups in the first two rows here. Doesn't matter. We are all related. Do you believe that? We descend from Noah. That's why we're here. Now, so there's lots of good things about the Noah story. Praise the Lord. Why is there that weird moment when after the flood, they come out of the ark, Noah plants in, uh, uh, vineyards, he makes wine, and pretty soon he's stone drunk and his sons come and find him in his tent. He's passed out naked, lying stone drunk on the ground. What, do we really need to know that? You know what we do? It was God's hint of saying, uh, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. By the way, he is not the serpent crusher. In case you were wondering. Well, some generations later, Abraham. 
and his son Isaac, his son Jacob. And this is like Downton Abbey times five, these people, all the strife and everything, adultery, lying, deceit, resentments going on. Wow. God kept his promises through those people and Christ descended from those people, the chosen people. But none of them were the serpent crusher. We have to wait for Christ as that. Abel probably had little concept of how long it would actually be in years before the serpent crusher came. But not knowing, not knowing the timetable, he based everything on confidence in the character of God. Maybe for you at the moment, that's something you need to do. Turn a corner. I'm not going to fuss over timetables or whatever. I'm going to hang everything on confidence in God's character. And I believe he's faithful. Yes. These all, the, the people he takes us through in that chapter, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. They didn't see the serpent crusher back in the Old Testament, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. I'll move on in a moment. Let me just make one quick observation here. Sometimes the only weapon you have and the only weapon you need is a promise. And when you remember that the promise comes from a faithful God, it's like a lightsaber in Star Wars. You believe that it came from God and God's faithful. It turns on the lightsaber when you know that. God is good. Whatever may be going on, hold on to this. God is good. And part of the way he's good is that he is faithful. He'll keep that promise. And now we know, praise the Lord, he already has. He sent the serpent crusher. If you've seen Mel Gibson's film, The Passion, it begins in the Garden of Eden, and you see the snake, not Garden of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane, and you see the snake coming along at Satan, wanting to tempt him. And the snake starts tempting Jesus and saying, you know, one person can't take away the sins of all the world. It's just trying to in- deceive Jesus and get him off track. And finally, it's, uh, it's my best moment in that whole film You see Jesus get up, he's weary, he's struggling, sweating profusely like the Bible says he did the night before he was crucified. And he walks over and all you see is this snake and you see a sandaled foot. Remember that moment if you've seen that film? Powerful moment. He did crush the serpent. Yeah, come on. Particularly by dying on the cross and rising again. Praise the Lord. Third thing, Abel's offering says, God's good, God's faithful. And by faith, Abel's offering said, God is worthy. Our English word worship, I'm told, actually derives from the word worth. Worship originally in Old English was worth-ship. Worth 
ship. And so declaring God worthy is, is, to be worthy is an act of worship. Remember in the book of Revelation, we see the, the, the heavenly creatures and the angels and the glorified saints in heaven, and they say, you are worthy. That's worship. How did Abel's offering say that God was worthy? And here we come to that interesting thing that God doesn't say, or the author Moses and then God, don't say anything at all about Cain's offering. And then for some reason that isn't really explained specifically, God doesn't have regard for Cain's offering. But he does have regard for Abel's. Now it the text doesn't say much about this. If you want to later on, you're on the book of First John and the book of Jude. Both go into this little thing, the difference in character between Cain and Abel. But that's maybe for another day. But the texts we're looking at this morning, Genesis and Hebrews. All we have is in Genesis, it says that when uh, Abel, when Cain and Abel brought their offerings... All it says about Cain's offering it was, is that it was fruit from the ground. Okay. When it describes Abel's offering, it was the firstborn, which had special value, and their fat portions. In other words, these were well-fed lambs. They would have been worth something to eat or sell if they had markets yet. Maybe didn't have markets, but this was a valuable offering. The firstborn with their fat portions. You know what Abel's offering was in one word? Extravagant. It was an extravagant. That's the point of that little description there in Genesis 4. It was an extravagant offering. Sometimes you are up to the point of making a commitment about something to give something like a donation or to go somewhere to agree to help out with something. And as you're coming up to the moment of doing it, you start to think, uh, what am I doing here? This is turning out to be cost me more financially and emotionally than I thought. This is taking me way outside my comfort zone. And you might doubt at the last minute. You might find yourself thinking, uh, is it really worth it to do this? Well, whether your commitment is worth it depends on something. It depends on why you're doing it. And if it's an act of worship, it depends on whether the one you're giving it to is worthy of the worship. But Abel didn't have any doubts. I mentioned that the word there for firstborn, like the firstborn sheep, was plural in Hebrew. How many did he bring? We don't know. Maybe a whole bunch. Did the thought occur to him, wow, I wonder what we're going to eat for the next couple of weeks. If those doubts did try and weasel their way into his mind, his answer would have been, no, it's okay. He's worthy. He's good. He's faithful. He's worthy. Sometimes the biggest things God will ask us to give are not money. It's something that takes us outside our druthers. You know, druthers, I would rather do such and such. So that, whatever it is, that's one of your druthers. 
And sometimes walking with Christ means we have to face the question of, will I give up my druthers? I'm not good at giving up my druthers. Probably the single biggest impact moment in my life, other than marrying Velma, was deciding along with Velma to go to India. I think we went eight or nine times. But in the lead up to going to India, we took King's Commission teams over there. In the lead up to it, it was a nightmare. Neither of us wanted to do it. The first few times we sent trips over there back in the 1990s, the church had other couples. Ron and Mary went and John and Val Micklefield, Peter and Julia. And Velma and I, praise the Lord, we got off the hook. (laughs) I didn't have to go. Well, one year... It was the third or fourth year we sent India teams. And for reasons that I just have to trust God, who's the one, he orchestrates all things, you know. None of those other couples I just mentioned were able to go. It was always in the month of February. And none of those couples were able. Family reasons at home, stuff in the church, whatever. They said, Dave, can't you and Velma go this year? We're, We're just stuck here. And we had a big decision to make. We wanted to do that as much as I like going to get root canal or something. I just, I didn't want to go. But we finally realized we had no way out. It wouldn't have been fair to the students, to the church. So we very, very reluctantly agreed to go. You know what we were giving God? We were giving him the circle inside which we felt safe. Up to that moment, when I was leading King's Commission back then, the biggest distance I had to drive was from Wolseley, where we used to live, over to the church on Panet Road, where the, we had classes. That was a trip for me. <laughs> Up Main Street, Disraeli Freeway, Monroe Avenue, whew, I got here. <laughs> and now I had to get on a plane all the way to Amsterdam, all the way to Mumbai. Very, very different food. Very interesting experiences with the cab drivers. (laughs) Toilet stories that I will not go into here. Come on. We had to take that circle, the circle of safety, where we felt competence and give it to God. That was our firstborn lamb on the altar. Now I'm going to close with this. The Holy Spirit might be sneaking up and down the rows here, tapping some of us on the shoulder about something you need to give. And I'm not suggesting it's money unless he tells you something like that. But something that you're holding on to and something that confronts you with the question that says, what's worth more? that thing, that circle of safety, or the Lord's honor, God himself, which, which is worth more. Abel, by faith, knew God is worthy. He brought all those firstborn lambs, plural, and they were fat for one reason. It's got three words. God is worthy.
Saints, can we commit in this 2023 to live that way? Does that sound like a good idea? This morning, let's commit to learn from and learn with Abel. He was all about God. God is good, even when everything's going to pieces. Through him, the aroma of the knowledge of God went up into the heavenly realms. A lot of stuff was stank back then, but then there was another aroma going up. Maybe you need to realize that's why you are where you are, because Paul says God has ordained that the aroma of Christ would ascend into heaven in every place. Maybe that's why you are where you are. God's faithful. He has a timetable, and we don't always know it, but he has it. So you count can't always count on when such and such will happen, but you can count on God being faithful. We can build our lives on that. And whatever else we may be clinging to, he's worth more. Thank you for tuning in to the Gateway North podcast. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from God's word. To find out more about Gateway Church, head to gatewaywinnipeg.com.